you know, I thought I'm going to have to do this on my hands and knees, but I, you know, I'm going to get through it. And I, 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 I climbed up the, you know, the, the, the easier side towards the scary side. And I stopped below, you know, like eight feet below the, the rim because I didn't want to look over and psych myself out. And I stopped. This is a Life in Motion audio experience, a podcast about travel, action, sports, culture, and more. What's up and welcome to episode 69 of Life in Motion. I've got Eva Holland on the line, who is the author of the book, Nerve, Adventures in the Science of Fear. Because of one terrifying mountain descent, she decided to face fear head on and embrace it rather than let it control her. I'm excited to see how she was able to do that and how our conversation may help you face your own fears. Uh, But thank you for being on the show today. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, yes. I'm excited to kind of, you know, learn more about you and kind of your journey and, you know, as I mentioned earlier, but... Before we kind of get to to kind of that part of your story, let's start at sort of, you know, the beginning, if you will, you know, kind of set the stage of who you are, you know, where you grew up, different hobbies, activities you've been involved in, sort of how did you get to where you are uh, today? Sure. So it's kind of been unlikely the way I wound up where I am now. Um <laughs> I, I live in the Yukon Territory in Northern Canada. Uh, I'm a correspondent for Outside Magazine, and I write a lot about outdoor adventure and extreme sports. But I was not that person um, growing up. I think a lot of people who knew me when I was younger would be pretty surprised at where I've ended up. I was, um, you know, pretty much a city kid, nose in a book all the time. Uh, you know, in high school, I went to the mall. I went to the movies. I wasn't out, you know, mountain biking or paddling or... Uh, any of these things that I that I spend a fair bit of time doing now. Um, so it was kind of like a, not late in life, but, you know, it's sort of a change of direction in my 20s. Um, basically, I was I was a writer first and I got into the outdoor sports stuff second. I, I always wanted to be a writer since I was a little kid and I didn't really care too much what I wrote about. I just wanted to, to be a writer Um in that way that kids kind of fasten onto an idea without even really knowing what it means, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, (laughs) And uh, um, yeah. And so I moved to the Yukon in my late twenties specifically because I thought it would be a good place to be a freelance writer. At that time I was doing mostly travel writing and I was kind of looking for a home base that would be uh, uh, close to a lot of interesting things. You know, I'm, I'm 90 minutes from the border with Alaska. I've, I've got a lot of kind of, interesting stuff at my fingertips uh here and so I sort of thought maybe this would be a good base um to work from and I have a cousin up here so I sort of followed him here and just got plugged into his friend group but what what they all did with their spare time was you know cross-country skiing and snowmobiling and and uh mountain biking and whitewater paddling and hiking and and on and on and on and I, I didn't really know how to do any of those things and I started learning partly just to be able to, you know, hang out with my friends and, and be able to participate <laughs> in the group activities. And partly because it, it was what editors wanted from me. You know, like if you live in this part of the world, they don't want necessarily a story about, you know, the, the urban coffee, coffee shops of Whitehorse, which is a small city where I live. You know, they, they want the story about the, the coldest ultramarathon in the world. And so... Uh, sort of personally and professionally, I got drawn into this world of, of outdoor sports and, and extreme sports and outdoor adventure. That's interesting, especially coming from, you know, kind of that opposite background, you know, kind of the city life, going to the mall, kind of all those sorts of things. 
Um, so I'm curious. So you said that, you know, you, you knew that you wanted to be a writer for, for a long time. What, um, what I guess inspired you to do that as far as, you know, what made, what made you want to be a writer? Yeah, I don't really know. I guess it was like all I loved to do when I was a kid was read. Um, I was a serious reader from a pretty young age and, and for as long as I can remember, I guess I loved books and I, so I wanted to write them too, not just enjoy them. Um, there's, you know, uh, scraps of paper from when I was a little kid where I was writing down stories already. And I didn't really, <clears throat> for a long time, I didn't really understand that there was anything besides fiction. Okay. Um, I sort of, you know, I just thought that novels were what people wrote. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that was part of my kind of shift in my twenties as well was sort of discovering nonfiction in the sense that I understood there were daily newspapers and I understood that like there were academic books, but I didn't really know about this whole world of narrative nonfiction that I'm now kind of immersed in. And that was just like the right, the right fit for me, you know, it's like Goldilocks and the, the different temperatures of porridge. I never, I never felt right as a fiction writer. I never felt like I had enough to say. And, um, and I never felt right sort of, I, I did do a master's degree and thought about, you know, continuing in graduate school and, and thought about trying to do the academic life, but I didn't, that didn't quite fit either that style of writing. And, and, uh, and so finding narrative nonfiction was sort of like the right mix of creativity and fact for me. Awesome. And that, yeah, and that kind of allows you to, you know, uh, tell a story that's real, obviously as well, you know, if it's, whether it's a person or an activity or, you know, whatever that may be. Um, so no, that's, that's really cool. I was just curious about that. And then, and then you said, so you moved, um, to the Yukon kind of for the opportunities, but you didn't really, uh, I guess at that point you necessarily weren't, uh, or weren't necessarily adventurous yourself at that time. So, I mean, did you, I guess, how did you find out that, I guess that was such a great place to have those initial opportunities of writing before you kind of fell into, you know, the category of writing that you fall into now? Mm -hmm. So I came to visit for five weeks. I came to stay with my cousin here. And I, at that time I was, I was a full-time travel writer, travel blogger, and I was sort of living out of a suitcase. I'd been traveling around for a year and a half. I'd given up my apartment to just kind of um, <clears throat> hop from place to place, you know, youth hostel to house sit to youth hostel. And, 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 uh, I came up to visit my cousin, Nathan, and just really loved it here. And I didn't initially see, see it as a place just to sort of focus on, you know, outdoor adventure and extreme sports. I, I, there's a lot of other, other stuff going on here too. And I thought this would be a good place. I was sort of searching for a home base. I was ready to stop being this sort of nomadic blogger and have a home again, but I didn't want to go back to my hometown because, which is Ottawa, which is the capital in, in Eastern Canada, um, because it just seemed sort of like a missed opportunity to be this freelance travel writer and be able to live anywhere in the world and stay at home. You know, I wanted to have a bit of an adventure in my life. And so coming to the Yukon seemed like a way to sort of carve out a bit of a, you know, a niche maybe as a writer and, and explore some interesting parts of the world and have a bit of an adventure in my personal life, um, you know, learning to live here um, while also writing. Yeah, that, and that, that totally makes sense. So, and then uh, another question as far as the writing aspect, I'm just kind of, you know, interested in how that whole process works. So, you know, 
and I guess maybe this is the same or has changed over the years, but, you know, when you first moved there, was it mainly, you know, you, you found, I guess, whatever that story was and submitted it to different um, outlets or has it also maybe gone to the point where, you know, you have a reputation, I guess, and they're like, Hey, this is coming up or this just happened or so on and so forth. Can you, can you cover it basically? Is that, is that kind of, how, how does that really work? That kind of a relationship? Yeah, it's a mix. Um, you know, when I first got here, I didn't always write about here. I was still writing about some of the places I'd traveled before I moved here. You know, it took, you know, there's sort of like a six month to a year lag. And I find it's sort of what you write about. This is what you're experiencing in the moment. Um, so I had, a, I had a chance to kind of get my feet wet up here. And then I started writing about this part of the world more. And then, yeah, what you write about does drive what you get asked to write about too. And so, you know, I remember years ago looking and being able to see that someone had you know, found my website by searching Yukon travel writer or something. And then I would sometimes get assignments from editors who were just like, we just need, you know, a thousand words about shopping in the Yukon for cruise ship tourists or, or, you know, whatever the, whatever the case may be. And I was able to do a lot of those assignments because I was already here on the ground. Um, And then, and then I pitched stories as well. And I, what happened over time is that I moved away from the sort of straightforward travel stuff into a mix of this sort of sports and adventure writing and more what we would call general interest feature writing. So more journalistic um, kind of reported work on maybe environmental issues or the mining industry up here, or, um, you know, I've covered a couple court cases, this sort of thing. Cool. And that's interesting kind of how, how kind of that, that ebbs and flows, but um, so let's jump back a little bit to the adventure side of things. So, so you move uh, up there with your cousins uh, and, you know, kind of get interjected or injected uh, around all of his friends groups and all that stuff. They're doing all this crazy stuff that you had never done before at that point. Um, I guess, <laughs> what, what was that like kind of getting sort of, uh, I guess, thrown into that, if you will, and then kind of, you know, you mentioned some activities, but what, um, I guess, you know, obviously there was the, the friendship aspect of it, you know, being included, doing, doing the things they were doing as well. But as far as the activities you're doing uh, themselves, what what kind of was it about sort of that lifestyle that, you know, obviously you're still doing that today. So what kind of what kind of grabbed you and kind of and held you within that over the years? Hmm. Yeah, it was a it was a hard learning curve for sure. I I sometimes say you know the Yukon is is not for beginners. It's sort of intermediate to advanced. If you think about, you know, like ratings on a ski hill or something, yeah. um, <clears throat> because it's just not, it's not a gentle place to learn this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, my, uh, my first ever backpacking trip, my, my cousin took me on, it was, it was three days, two overnights in a, in a national park up here. And, and we saw five grizzly bears in three days. <laughs> Um, including, you know, surprising a mother and her cubs. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. And there were multiple, you know, creek crossings and it was just, it was just very full on for a first, (laughs) full on, uh, full on first time, you know, and, and everything up here is sort of like that because, you know, the rivers are cold. If you fall in the, the, almost nothing has cell service. Uh, you may not see any, you know, it's, it's all just sort of higher stakes than if you were on say like a busy trail in California. Yeah. Um, or, or Oregon or, um, so it was, it was, uh, it was tough, you know, I, uh, I stuck with it and I, because I enjoyed it, even though it was really hard for me in the beginning, I, it was sort of like discovering this new world that I hadn't really understood was out there when I was younger. And I, 
you know, my, my head feels clearer when I'm, you know, when I'm out on a trail or something, I, I liked the challenges of it. I liked, um, I don't know, the, the culture of it, the way people sort of are when they spend time together out, you know, camping or hiking. Um, there's not a lot of, you know, a, not a lot of uh, self-criticism or criticism of others. You know, if you're sitting around a campfire, you're not sitting around talking about how someone, you know, wasn't dressed right, you know, hopefully. <laughs> At least my friends here aren't, you know, and, and it felt really liberating in that way from sort of a culture of judgment that we often have. Yeah. That makes sense. I was going to say no judgment unless that they forgot their heavy winter coat and it's, you know, freezing outside, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that that's awesome. As that's opposed what, to you know sit, sitting in the mall and and yeah. making fun of people while they walk walk by, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, exactly, exactly. I totally understand. Um, that's that's cool. That you know, especially you know uh, that first experience. I mean, I couldn't imagine you know having that first. I, honestly, I couldn't imagine that experience now. Uh, but having your your first <laughs> true experience, outdoor experience, overnight camping, backpacking, all that stuff, and then. Oh, hey, here's here's a couple of grizzly bears and a cub and just I don't know, figuring that out. I mean, whether or not, you know, they're gonna touch you or not or come near you, I guess, you know, so knowing that they're around would be kind of unsettling, I would say. So uh that's awesome that kind of the challenge and kind of uh I guess almost the, the as you mentioned, kind of the mindfulness that also comes along with it, along with the friendship back back to that. That's kind of cool to hear how that kind of all uh gelled and, and meshed together. So what what's your what is your favorite outdoor activity because it sounds like you know you have the opportunity to do a lot of different things Mm, oh that's such a hard question but (laughs) I think I think the one I always come back to is hiking it's just um it's sort of the simplest you know it's the most stripped down in terms of required gear or expertise you know it's just putting one foot in front of the other hopefully with good shoes on, um, you know, for, for many years, it was when I was sort of, uh, really starting out as a writer, it was the only one I could really afford to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, cause, cause you know, the gear, the gear for these sports can be pretty expensive and, and, uh, yeah, it's just, I, I always love to go for a hike. Yeah. That's awesome. It's, it's, you know, in, in a way it's the most simplest form of kind of bringing all that stuff together. So, uh, and, Mm-hmm. depending on where you're going easy enough to do. So <laughs> that's cool. So, yeah. um, so kind of, you know, as, as you sort of got into that lifestyle, obviously, you know, fell in love with it, the challenges, the camaraderie, everything that can kind of came along with it. Um, you know, I'm sure I'm assuming you started doing more challenging things, um, kind of as that progressed and as your sort of comfort level progressed. But so I guess what, what was kind of that, um, that, uh, I don't know, growth or trajectory or whatnot that kind of evolved from that kind of, you know, that initial trip to that. And then to where, you know, obviously, you know, the basis of your, your book as well, kind of how, how, I guess, when, when did that sort of transition happen? I guess, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. So they're pretty connected because I did, you know, I built up my experience. I built up my expertise. I, I sort of learned some skills. I became more and more competent um, in the wilderness and I'm still, you know, less experienced than all my friends here. And I, I always will be because they keep getting more experience too, <laughs> as I learned, but, but I've really, I've really come a long way. And, um, from that first backpacking trip and, and, um, 
But the thing that that I learned was holding me back in a lot of my sort of mountain adventures is I I didn't actually know I was afraid of heights until I moved here. I I had these sporadic experiences when I was younger of getting really upset. But I, you know, I didn't live in, in mountain country. I didn't spend time in the mountains and I didn't really connect the dots of these different sort of panics I'd had. And, and then when I moved here and was consistently, you know, hiking and trying to learn to rock climb and, and, and things like this, I realized, oh no, like I'm afraid of heights. <laughs> and specifically, you know, you know, phobias can really vary. Some people it's elevators, some people it's balconies. And mine was specifically... Uh, exposed slopes. So sort of like steep exposed slopes where I, anywhere where I feel like I can fall and just sort of keep falling. Um, I'm actually, you know, fine in a glass elevator. I'm fine on a bridge. It's uh, it was this sense of exposure to falling. Um, so basically made mountain sports kind of challenging for me. And so even as I learned, there was always this, this piece holding me back, which was, you know, before I'd go on a new hike, I'd be asking people about the terrain, you know, how steep is it? Am I going to cry? Am I going to have to crawl on my hands and knees? Am I going to have a panic attack? And um, so this was kind of what was holding me back. And, and ultimately um, the book, the book is partly about trying to change that dynamic so that I can do what I want in the mountains and, and not be held back by that fear. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and kind of, you know, you mentioned, you know, people have that have a fear of height in that example, you know, they might be different or afraid of different things. And I'm, I was just thinking of the example of myself uh, a couple of years ago, my wife and, and I traveled um, overseas and, you know, went uh, one of the places, obviously, you know, went to Paris and did the Eiffel Tower thing, but going up in the elevator and, and walking around the rails and stuff, that was, that was fine with me. But in the middle of it, there's like a glass floor that just looks straight to the bottom. And I like getting close to that. Like I, I would like shake, like I couldn't handle that, but the rest of it I could handle. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. So kind of knowing how, um, you know, I guess from that, that experience, I guess mine and, and how that is kind of hard to kind of flip that switch, if you will, how, how, how did you, or how were you able to kind of overcome that? I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of different ways that you can do it, you know, just, you know, I guess continually trying it and doing it, I'm sure builds a level of comfortability, but you know, there's also, you know, a lot of things that go into that as well. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My approach for several years was just to kind of keep trying and sort of gritting my teeth and keep trying. And and sometimes I felt like I was making progress. Other times I felt like I was getting worse. Um, And so when I sat down to, to research the book, I did, I did three things. And the first thing I did is I went skydiving. Um, <laughs> and I, I sort of, I sort of had this idea that like, I would just like pop the bubble, you know, like I just like scared myself so much that I would be cured. <laughs> uh, and uh, that is not, as it turns out, how the science works. Right. Um, but uh, So I didn't, you know, sky, skydiving did not cure me. Uh, I did not enjoy it one bit, unfortunately. Um, I, uh, but then what I did is I actually sort of, uh, researched the science of exposure therapy, which is more or less what we're talking about when we talk about, you know, doing it over and over again. And, and what I learned is that I'd been sort of going about it the wrong way. It's not about gritting your teeth and forcing yourself. It's about retraining your mind to remain calm rather than to push through. You know, when we talk about facing our fears, I think it's sort of, you know, suck it up and gut it out and, and 
actually I was not helping myself by doing that. And the way exposure therapy works is you, you advance just far enough to the edge where you can't, where you don't think you can remain calm if you push any further. And then you take one more step the next time, you know, and it's really slow work. So somebody who's afraid of elevators, for instance, might start by just standing in the lobby, looking at the elevator. And then they might go and stand right at the doors. And then they might go and step in the elevator, but their friend holds the door open for them and the elevator doesn't take off. And that, you know, like, so it's it, depending on, you know, the severity of somebody's reactions and, and how sort of sensitive they are, it can be a really slow build trying to just through repetition and slow, but, but, the, but the trick is to stay calm. If you're just sort of pushing yourself through your panic, then your brain doesn't learn a new pattern. Okay. Your brain just stays in its panic mode. So it's about retraining, you know, sort of building a different structure, a different pattern for your brain to follow in future. And so that was the second thing I did is I, I had been sort of learning to rock climb for a few years, but not in any kind of systematic way. And the second thing I did after the skydive is I spent a summer just like trying to do the easiest rock climbs I could find. But instead of pushing to the top, even once I got scared, I tried to do them, you know, following this system of exposure therapy of, of stopping before I got scared and then trying to get just a little further next time. And, um, you know, it worked, it was, it was hard work, but it, it worked in limited ways. I got more comfortable gradually. I got less panicked, but it was slow and it was hard. And so the last thing I did um, is I went to Amsterdam and did an experimental drug treatment for phobias. <laughs> um, and uh, I don't want to, I don't want to give too much away, but, but I will say that, uh, that it was it certainly changed, changed things for me. In, in a good way, I'm assuming. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm, uh, I'm freer now than I was before I went to Amsterdam for sure. That's, that's interesting. Well, one, going back to kind of the second stage of that, you know, that kind of taking those baby steps, if you will. Yeah. I guess that does make sense also because, you know, you're, you know, depending on how old you are or how old anybody is at that time that they have that fear, you know, you have so many years to, to reconfigure your brain in that sense. So those baby steps kind of make sense of why it, you know, takes so long. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's interesting too, on the, on the third, the third, uh, step as well, just cause, you know, I've read different things of how, uh, certain things can, can kind of help, uh, almost rewire some of those, uh, connections, uh, in a positive way to kind of, you know, allow you to, to overcome that. So that, that's really interesting. Um, so, so after that, I mean, what was that like, you know, you, you kind of went through those process, you know, you tried the, the hard jump out of the plane, you did the, the gradual process of as far as the rock climbing goes and kind of in learning that way. Um, and then the third way as well, but, you know, after that, was that, you know, was that it or, I guess, was that like the cure-all kind of that, those three together, or maybe just one of them happened to be better than the other, or, or like, was there, was there a continuing process or a continuing journey after that, that you still had to, you know, figure out these, uh, these mental challenges, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, um, it's still an ongoing process for sure, because, you know, one of the things the psychologist Sam Sam told me is even when the, her treatment works and sort of cures people of their panic reactions, we're so trained to expect them. And so part of it is learning to understand, you know, like I still, I still brace myself for the panic 
if I'm, if I'm on a steep trail, you know, and I wait for it to come, I wait for, you know, my, my heart rate to race and my chest to tighten and, and all the things that used to happen to me and they don't happen in the same ways anymore, but I still have this sort of bracing that I do. And so it's sort of a process of unlearning that fear reaction too, that's still ongoing. Um, and trying to accept my new, my new way of being in the world, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So like in that example, you know, kind of preparing yourself, you know, waiting for the heart rate, all that kind of stuff. Is that literally, is that, is that as literal as, okay, Hey, I, I, I feel this coming on. I know it's coming on. I know it's going to happen. Like you just kind of sit and take a break and then, you know, kind of accept it and let it kind of, you know, I guess flow through your body in a sense. And then, and then after you've kind of accepted it and it's gone through and you kind of find that, that reaction to calm it, is that when you, you know, continue the, the hike or the climb or, or whatever you might be doing? Yeah, it happens so fast now that I don't even really need to, like, it might be a matter of sort of pausing my step for a moment and sort of collecting myself and saying, okay, you know, take a breath, you can keep going, but it's not so it's not like I need to sort of sit down or something at this point. It's more like sort of pause just long enough to do that sort of mental check of my body. Like, okay, this is what's happening. And, and on we go. Interesting. Okay. So, and that kind of alluded to the point. So probably when you first started doing that, it was more of those longer pauses and kind of as you've gotten used to, you know, uh, being able to accept it and, and, and kind of work through it, that, that time frame is, kind of shorten where it doesn't necessarily uh inhibit the activity in a way as far as the time frame goes it sounds like mm -hmm, definitely yeah cool. and then also i forgot to ask so from the time that you know you're, you're you know the skydiving to to the last thing um what what was that time frame like like how long how long did that take to kind of overcome that and then even you know i guess get comfortable in a sense you know to to sort of where you are today obviously you know i'm sure you know as you said you're still kind of you know mm -hmm. how to how to interact with that but as far as like once it was finally like okay i what i'm doing is really work was that like a year was that six months was that three years what, what did that kind of look like it was closer to three years i did the skydive summer 2016 and summer, fall 2016 was also when I did the rock climbing. Um, and then I went to Amsterdam in March, 2019. Um, so, but, but there wasn't, it wasn't like I was sort of working consistently the whole time in between. Um, I didn't actually know I was going to go to Amsterdam initially. I thought I was just going to write about this woman's research without trying it myself. Um, and then, you know, when we spoke, uh, on the phone in maybe January or something of 2019, she said, you know, do you want to come to the clinic and try the treatment? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I went, I went to Amsterdam two weeks before my book deadline. So that was the very last oh. thing I, uh, the very last thing I did. Um, I thought I was going to leave it at, you know, the progress I had made with, with the, um, the exposure therapy, but I ended up, uh, <laughs> throwing this, uh, <laughs> this drug therapy into the mix as well. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, no, that's an interesting timeline and, and how that kind of worked out, especially with, like you said, right before the, the book deadline, basically. So, so during that process of, of, you know, writing the book itself, you know, trying these different treatments, how, 
I, I guess, uh, you know, what was your biggest, I guess, takeaway from that experience that, you know, um, I guess, was there, was there any uh, similarities or, or common things that you found, you know, not just with yourself, but with others of, you know, how they could sort of apply that to, you know, to their own fears or phobias or whatever that may be? Mm -hmm. I think my biggest takeaway was actually how changeable this stuff is. So the, the fear of heights is just one thread in the book. And another major piece, um, I had had a series of car accidents, you know, winter driving up here. And I had developed a pretty serious sort of uh, trauma reaction around, around driving in ice and snow, which is a problem because I drive in ice and snow eight months of the year. After. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, so the other thing I did, uh, you know, there's sort of different strands of the book. There's phobia, there's, there's sort of anxiety, and there's, and there's trauma. And the, the trauma piece, um, I focused on my car accidents experience and then explored, you know, the science of what we understand about trauma more broadly. And I did a, a trauma therapy uh, called EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing that seemed like pretty sci-fi, um, but it was really, really effective for me. And so I guess that's that plus the height stuff, but really it was the EMDR that really made me understand these, these fears and reactions that we have that can feel just permanent, like, like a part of us and, there's just, and we're sort of helpless in the face of them they're much more changeable than I had realized. I felt, I thought it was impossible. You know, I was like, this is never going to change. I'm going to feel this way forever. Um, and it really wasn't the case, you know, some, some work and some time and some resources. And I was able to really change my relationship to fear, which, which I didn't expect when I started, you know, I, I totally, I started the book thinking that I would end it being like, well, I didn't really, you know, conquer my fears, but we sure learned a lot along the way, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, but, uh, but it was much more changeable than I realized. And, and, and so I, I like to tell people that the way they're feeling isn't necessarily permanent. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I guess you could, you know, make one analogy, you know, the, the gym analogy, you know, if you want to, you know, get fit and, you know, get a six pack or whatever that is, you know, you have to work for it for a, a numerous amount of time. So in a way it's sort of the same way. It's almost a workout for your, for your, you know, your mental ability to, you know, know how to handle these situations. So that, that makes sense in that. What can you, can you explain a little bit more about the, the eye movement? Um, sure. <clears throat> So eye movement desensitization and reprocessing um, literally does involve moving your eyes back and forth with a trained therapist. It was invented in Northern California in the 80s, of course. <laughs> um, and uh, so the, the, the therapist, you know, there's some groundwork first. They, they try to understand your situation a bit. And, and then they, they prompt you to move your eyes back and forth in a rhythm. It used to be literally, you know, the therapist wagging their finger back and forth in front of you. Now they have different things. They have like uh, beep, beeping headphones you can wear. There's, I use these sort of pods that I held in my hands that buzzed. And then my eye would, you know, it would, my right hand would buzz and my eye would go to the right and my left hand would buzz and my eye would go to the left just sort of automatically. And so they, they prompt your eyes to move back and forth in a rhythm while the therapist talks you through these, these traumatic memories of whatever it is that happened to you. Um, and they don't, it was, you know, it was 
laughed at as pseudoscience for many years and they they still don't understand why it works but it's now broadly accepted after you know a number of of successful clinical trials um that it does work better than the placebo effect um and it seems to it's sort of like it um something about the eye movement and and you know the eye movement is sort of reminiscent of what happens when we have our REM sleep you know there's something connected between between our eye movements and our memory storage because REM sleep is connected to memory storage there's sort of these these hints of what it might be that they don't fully haven't put the pieces together but it seems to um the way i think of it is it was like my memories of my car accidents were files in a filing cabinet but they were sticking up out of the drawer and i couldn't close the drawer and so when i was driving you know if if i if i hit a wet patch or if it was you know driving in a blizzard it was like the memories would leap out and grab me by the throat and i'd have to pull over cuz i'd be you know hyperventilating and crying and having flashbacks and picturing you know rolling on black ice again and um and uh and i couldn't seem to control this reaction and and it was like something about the emdr uh put the files properly back in the drawer so that the drawer could close and stay closed i still remember everything about my car accidents but i don't have unprompted you know flashbacks while i'm driving of them anymore i don't sort of um feel myself rolling again the way these sort of bodily flashbacks that i used to have uh it kind of takes the sting out of it um and that's a real a real gift you know for for all sorts of people who are who are dealing with you know intrusive memories of of bad things that happen whether that's you know um with if they've you know served in war or or been in an avalanche or or whatever the case may be that's no that's that's really interesting uh especially you know that there's some kind of inkling of why it works but not necessarily uh positive why that is so it's kind of one of the the other mysteries of life there mm-hmm. so in that case i mean is it the you know, kind of the, the, uh, treatments or therapy or what, whatever you want to call it from that. I mean, I'm assuming, you know, when, you know, if you're, if you're driving the car, you're not going to start moving your eyes back and forth, um, you know, to do that. So, so it's mainly, I guess, in a, a, uh, a preventative type mechanism, mm-hmm. I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. That's- yeah. They claim it can work in as few as one session. I, I had three sessions and how, and how long are the sessions? The problem. How- uh, maybe an hour. Okay. That's, that's, that's really yeah. interesting. Has that been known to do help with anything other than just traumatic experiences? I think they use it for some other things as well. Um, I'm not, I think, yeah, I think it has been used, you know, in some cases for things like depression and anxiety and, and phobic behaviors as well. Um, but I'm not certain how else it's applied. Huh. Um, but it seems to certainly it's, it seems to help with, uh, with trauma and it is, you know, the more complex the trauma, the harder it is for the therapy to, to do the job. Um, you know, I was sort of, lucky in that my car accidents were these very discreet incidents um but something like you know uh like years of childhood abuse for instance would be like a harder thing to untangle with with a therapist than three car accidents yeah and that yeah that makes sense from the kind of the level of it that no that's just really interesting i, I don't honestly i'd never had heard anything like that before um 
and I know, you know, kind of, as you mentioned, you know, that, you know, the, the mind and the body kind of works in weird ways. Uh, and, you know, it just takes some guy in the seventies or eighties to, you know, figure that out. So, <laughs> um, it's very strange. I, yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. And, and then kind of the other, uh, I guess the third aspect that you mentioned, um, you know, the fear, uh, the, the trauma and then the anxiety as well. Was there anything in particular that you learned from that about how to deal with, um, with anxiety? Um, not so specifically, I, I don't get as deep into that one in the book as the other two. The other, the other piece of it is, um, whether we call it anxiety or sort of dread, you know, the sort of the big picture existential stuff of like, you know, life and death and, and, um, and so, um, the other sort of thread in the book is, is, uh, is the, my mom died suddenly right um right before I started doing all this work on fear and so sort of grief and dread are tied into the book as well and um thinking about you know fearing loss and and how we sort of live with loss and and try not to let it make our world smaller and I I guess all these different strands work together to make me feel more equipped to sort of navigate life when things are hard and and to know that things are going to be hard again in the future, but I'll get through it. Interesting. And that makes sense how it, and I'm sorry for your loss also. Um, but yeah, so it's, yeah, that's interesting how you said how kind of all that stuff kind of works, you know, together in the way, and then you can, you know, kind of combat it in the same way as well. Um, so I, I guess, so since kind of all of that, um, you know, those instances, I guess, and, and learning, have there any been, has there, are there, I guess, any, you know, I don't know, favorite story might be the best uh, term for it. Uh, it's usually what I ask, but as far as, you know, a, a specific story that stands out to you that, you know, you know, five, 10 years ago, you would absolutely be terrified, but now you're, you know, in this position, you know, whether that's an activity or whatever that you're like, oh, well, I can sort of brush this off in a sense. Yeah, I, uh, I did this really challenging hike summer 2019. So a few months after, after I went to Amsterdam and it's this hike in, in Northern Yukon and I went alone and it's a five day backpacking loop. And it includes this one pass called Glissade Pass. That's like really a pass in name only. It's really like not much of a pass over the mountains it's pretty it's really steep and really exposed and it's a big scree slope and and you're sort of like you know clamoring down the the rocks the whole way down the 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 front side of it um it's sort of notorious uh, for being kind of a scary place to hike um and uh i I thought, you know, I wouldn't, I, well, I'd never been to Tombstone, it's Tombstone Territorial Park is the name of it in Northern Yukon. And I'd never been there for years because I knew I couldn't do it. I knew I couldn't go, go over Glissade Pass. And uh, the summer, <laughs> the summer after Amsterdam, I went and I, I still thought, you know, I thought I'm going to have to do this on my hands and knees, but, I, you know, I'm going to get through it. And I, 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 I climbed up the, you know, the, the, the easier side towards the scary side. And I stopped below, you know, like eight feet below the, the rim because I didn't want to look over and psych myself out. And I stopped, you know, I had a snack, I had a water, I took a rest. And then I was like, okay, just, just 
just go over and just you can do it you know and and I was fine I was you know I was cautious because it's a sketchy place to hike but I wasn't (laughs) I I was I was I felt normal you know I was like I'm putting one foot in front of the other I'm going to get down this glissade pass and it's, it's not it's not fun but uh, I, I was okay. I wasn't hyperventilating. I wasn't um, feeling like I was going to fall to my death. You know, it was, it was, uh, it was amazing. And um, that was, that was kind of the game changer for me. That's awesome. Yeah. It sounds like kind of the, the defined moment, like, wow, okay. All this really did work. You know, I thought it worked, but now, you know, kind of here, here's the proof there. That's, that's great. So, so one thing I always like to, um, to ask everybody is sort of, you know, what is, what is one piece of advice, you know, through, through your experiences, through kind of the research and everything that you've done? Um, what is, what is one piece of advice that you would offer to someone, you know, that has some kind of phobia, has some kind of fear, um, you know, to, to kind of, you know, get, get over that and kind of get, you know, let themselves, uh, you know, be free in a sense. Mm-hmm. I think one thing is to not be too hard on yourself about it. We, we often feel really alone in these feelings, you know, and, and we feel embarrassed and maybe like weak um, or ashamed, uh, like we're supposed to be tougher, you know? Um, And, but so many, you know, since I, since I wrote this book, so many people have told me about their fears and their phobias and, it's just, it's not something we talk about a lot. It doesn't come up in day-to-day conversation, but I guarantee you're surrounded by people who feel the same way sometimes, you know? And so I think uh, just letting, easing up on ourselves, you know, like, yes, do what we can to change this. But in the meantime, you know, don't beat yourself up because you feel afraid um, on, you know, an elevator or whatever the case may be. And uh, just go a little easy on yourself because, because a lot of us are dealing with this sort of thing. Yeah, that makes that that totally makes sense. Kind of, you know, uh, you know, let your guard down in that sense, as far as, you know, the other people are thinking that other people might judge you because of that. Because, yeah, to your point, they they might have the same fear or even a worse one. You know, you don't, you don't know. So, uh, mm-hmm. no, I think that's that's great advice. So uh, finally, I want to ask, uh, where, where can people find you online, um, you know, see what kind of uh, adventures you're on, maybe see, see different articles. And of course, where can they uh, actually check out um, your book as well and grab a copy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my book is available from, you know, all the big web outlets. It's, uh, I'm sure, you know, your, your local bookstore will be happy to order it in if they don't have it. The, um, the paperback comes out in the U.S., next month in October. So, so now's a great time to pre-order a paperback if, if, uh, if that's of interest. Um, there's an audio book, there's an ebook, all the, all the formats. Um, <laughs> and uh, my website is, is horribly out of date. I've been meaning to update it for like two years, but it's evaholland.com. Um, I'm on Twitter more than I should be. Um, I have a Facebook author page. I'm, I'm very online and uh, happy to chat with people. Awesome. Well, everyone definitely, uh, check her out, check out her book. Um, and you know, as, as you've heard from this conversation, you know, she's overcome a lot of challenges that I would assume a lot of us, uh, you know, face as well, whether or not, you know, we're comfortable with admitting, admitting it or not. So, 
um, you know, definitely find some inspiration in, uh, in this episode and then also, uh, within her work as well. So, but thank you so much for, you know, coming on, kind of sharing your story and kind of opening up, you know, what that process looked like, um, and, you know, how others can kind of, you know, maybe approach it, maybe not necessarily the same way, but, you know, kind of opening up to different kind of perspectives there. So I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening. And hey, if you've made it this far and like what you've heard, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and let your friends know about life emotion. Until next time.